All right, this morning, let's turn to the book of Acts in chapter number 7 and verse 51. For the past little bit on the second service, I have been preaching from the book of Acts in chapter number 7, and I've been using Stephen's defense when he was standing before the high priest. I've been using that as sort of a, an outline for teaching the the history of the nation of Israel. And, and my objective was that people would come and, and they would be here for the second service and we could get an overview of the nation of Israel and you get a good foundation on the history of the nation of Israel and some have followed along and some have not. Um, but today I'm going to kind of conclude that and I thought I would share it in this morning service. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue on teaching an overview of the history of the nation of Israel in the second service, but I wanted to bring this last uh, message today. And I want to talk to you about why it's important to know the Old Testament. Let's remember, if you don't have the Old Testament, you don't need the New. What is hidden in the Old is revealed in the New. And so really the New Testament, it's not the Old Bible and the New Bible and all that, it's all one Bible. And the New Testament is a fulfillment of what's found in the Old. And so you, you need a solid foundation of what's happening in the Old Testament for you to even have a concept of what's going on in the New. And so that's why it's important for us to understand uh, this history of the nation of Israel. But in this text today, we, we're going to see Stephen's last words. It's kind of the conclusion of his, um, his defense and the reason these are Stephen's last words is because his words are forcibly stopped. He stopped from speaking. He has brought such accusations against the Jews that they can no longer listen. They are enraged by Stephen's words. Stephen will be stoned to death. So as we look through this, and we've listened to what Stephen had to say and how he called out these leaders of the nation of Israel, we need to think about, well, how would I, I would have responded if I would have heard these words from Stephen? We need to think about how we respond if someone points out our errors. I mean, Stephen, you betrayed and murdered the just one. <laughs> uh, you know, he's pretty strong in what he says, but how would we respond if someone called us out in our sin? So we're just going to begin with verse 51 of Acts chapter number 7. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers of and murderers who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we're thankful that you uh, reveal who, who you are to us in your word. We thank you that you have given us your word to live by. And I pray, God, that as we dig into your word, that your Holy Spirit will uh, deal with our hearts and speak to our hearts and encourage us and, yes, challenge us, we pray. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit today. We thank you that we can worship the just one. And it's in the name of the just one, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 
So think about the boldness of Stephen for him to come out. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. You know, those are, those are challenging words. Those are hard words. But, but, he's, but he's speaking the truth. They are stiff-necked, and they are uncircumcised in their hearts, and they have murdered, they have betrayed Jesus Christ, and they have turned against God and, and murdered the just one. And so he's justified in saying these words. But, but he uses the words stiff-necked and uncircumcised in their hearts, and, and he uses those words because they draw us back to the nation of Israel. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture today. And so we're going to go to the Old Testament. Let's look in the book of Exodus in chapter number 33. And verses 1 through 5. And Jerry mentioned this just briefly in, his, in our Sunday school lesson this, this morning. But here's God speaking to them. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up thence thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee that I may know what to do unto thee. So, so when Stephen is using this language, he's using words that they're going to understand. He's going to know what he's making reference to. He's making to the sins of the people at Mount Sinai. The sins of the people, as soon as they come out of the land of Egypt, God told them, you're, you're stiff-necked. And so when Stephen is using the word stiff-necked, I mean, it's, it's, he's, they know what he's saying. And he says you're uncircumcised in heart. And this is a metaphorical sense, refers to the failure of Israel to expunge all the evil in, the, in, in their nation. And... and God had given them a sign, the sign of circumcision, the sign that was to be what they were to do. They were to remove sin from their presence. But in Leviticus chapter number 26 and verse number 41, we, we, we see that phrase. Uh, Leviticus 26, 41 says, And that I have also walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled. And they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. So they were supposed to remove sin. They didn't remove sin. And God used that phrase again, uncircumcised hearts. And so we know and understand that, that Stephen's using language here that the high priest and the other Jews, they would know because they knew the history of the nation of Israel. They would know and understand. And that's why we're not going to turn there, but well, y'all yeah, turn there real quick. Jeremiah chapter number four. When Israel is uh, going back and in, 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 um, there to be restored as the people of Israel, uh, God tells them what they are to do. Jeremiah four four: Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. You men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench because of the evil of your doing. So we understand that 
because they have uncircumcised hearts, that's why Jeremiah says to circumcise your heart. And along with that, he says over in chapter number 6 and verse number 10, he says, and this is important, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them reproach, and they have no light in it, no delight in it. So, in order to have a, a circumcised heart, they need to have a circumcised ear. Now, the scripture says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. And so when, when Stephen is bringing these accusations against the high priest and the Jews, he's using these words, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. They would understand, and they would remember even the words of Jeremiah, where, where Jeremiah delivered the words unto Israel. Listen, you need to circumcise your heart, and, and you need to have a circumcised ear so that you can hear. But the people wouldn't listen to Jeremiah's warnings, and they went into captivity. So the question for us today as we think about that is, what about our hearts and what about our neck? Are we stiff-necked? Do we have a circumcised heart? Do we have a circumcised ear? Do we listen to the warnings which are given to us by the Word of God? Has it spoken to us? through the lessons that are given to us, whether it's from the pulpit or Sunday school lessons or, or whatever. Do we listen? How do we hear? So we want to think about that, and, and we need to challenge ourselves and, and ask ourselves, well, how do I respond to the Word of God? But we go back to Acts chapter 7, and we, we see that, that Stephen says, not only are you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts, but you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. So, so they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen to the Word of God. And, and God had sent His prophets to them. He had sent His prophets to them to share with them His words to warn them about the impending danger of turning away from God. But they refused to listen. That's why we, we find in... Uh, Isaiah 63.10, where it says this, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. So because they resisted the Holy Spirit, they turned away from the Holy Spirit, that's why they're in the condition they're in today. Because they wouldn't listen to the Word of God. They wouldn't listen to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They, they turned their heart away from listening to the Word of God. They resisted the Holy Spirit. And again, we, we want to understand the purpose and the point of the Holy Spirit is to convict and convince of sin. And why would they resist the Holy Spirit? One of two reasons. Either they have not received the Spirit, so they were not born again, and so they, they couldn't follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit because they're not born again, and, and, and some today. Why? Why, are you, uh, why do you refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit and follow what the Word of God says? Is because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Or they just will not submit to the Holy Spirit. That could be the reason. And, and you know that's a dangerous place to live where you won't submit to the Holy Spirit of God. But I want you to think about that. The Holy Spirit convicts and convinces of sin. The Holy Spirit is that which says, this is what the Bible says. 
Just like what we read in our, our reading, it says, You have heard that have been said of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in her heart. What do you do when you read that? What do you do when you hear that? Do you begin to think about, well, how could that play out in my life? And you can go all through the Sermon on the Mount, which we are reading Matthew 5 through 7, and think about, this is what the Word of God says, and how do I respond when I hear that? Do I listen? Does it stir my heart? Does it convict me of sin? Or do I resist that and say, well, that's not for me or, or whatever? We, we want to know and understand the Holy Spirit is active today and that God speaks through His Word and the Holy Spirit leads us according to the words. And remember, the holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so this is the Word of God. But So how do you respond when you read the Word of God? Does it challenge your heart? Does it convict your heart? Does it cause you to sorrow over the sin that's in your life? How do you respond when the Word of God is read or preached, how do you respond? The children of Israel, they wouldn't listen. They resisted the Holy Spirit of God. What about you? You see, Stephen highlighting the, the children of Israel's resistance of the Holy Spirit, it should be a warning to us. We should understand that the Holy Spirit of God is that which works in the hearts of God's people. It is the Holy Spirit of God, as we've already said, that convicts or convinces of sin. It is the Holy Spirit of God that leads us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And so the Holy Spirit, we're walking according to the Spirit. Remember, the book of Galatians says, Walk according to the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So, so how many of us are being led by the Spirit daily in our lives? So it's a warning to us. How are you being moved by the Holy Spirit of God in your daily life? How is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin? How is the Holy Spirit leading you to walk after the Spirit and, and to... Do those things that are the fruit of the Spirit. How, how is the Spirit leading in your life? And, and here's the thing. If you don't sense the leadership of the Holy Spirit, either in convicting you of sin or in leading you in paths of righteousness, why don't you? Is it because you don't have the Spirit? Or is it because you're rejecting the Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is that which works in our world today. And you can resist the Holy Spirit of God. You can resist the Holy Spirit by redefining what sin is. You, you read plainly what the Bible says is sin. And you'll say, well, you know, that's old stuff. That's not the way it is today. And so you want to redefine what sin is for yourself to suit your own purposes, right? Or you can resist the Holy Spirit's leadership by, by refusing to follow the Holy Spirit. You know, this week I was on uh, chaplain's duty, and, and one of the things that we bump into occasionally at the hospital is we bump into a room that has some, some prisoners from the, the, the federal prison in it. And, and this week, they, they, there was three different ones this week. And, and they said, you know, one of the things we are to do is ask, is there anyone that we should not see? And so they, 
they will tell us if there's anyone that we should not see. And they said, well, room so-and-so has a prisoner in it. I don't know how you feel about that. And so I'm going around and making visits. So I got to ask myself, how do I feel about that? How do I feel about going in to visit this prisoner? And the Holy Spirit says, you need to go in and visit that person. So, you know, it's very easy not to, right? But if the Holy Spirit's telling me to do it, then I need to do it, right? So, so how are you being led by the Holy Spirit of God, and are you resisting the Holy Spirit of God? Stephen is calling the children of Israel out because they rejected and resisted the Holy Spirit of God. And so we need to let that be a warning to us that we don't get into the place where we are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart because we refuse, we reject the Holy Spirit of God. But we go back and read that Stephen continues his accusations against them. Not only do, are they stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and resist the Holy Ghost, but also he goes on and says, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. They persecuted the prophets. In, in one of my reference books, it says, The indictment continues with a reference to the well-attested reputation that the people of Israel had by this time for persecuted and even killing the prophets. So I want you to think about it. God, God sent prophets to the children of Israel, and they were to preach the word of God to them. They were to, to say, this is what thus saith the Lord. And they had a reputation for if, if the prophet said, listen, you're turning away from God. These cir circumstances that you're finding yourself in in life, they're because of you refusing to hear the word of God. And how did they respond? Well, 1 Kings chapter number 19 tells us one of the ways they responded. 1 Kings chapter number 19, and I know I'm turning to a lot of verses today, but we always have turned to a lot of verses when we've been talking about the history of Israel. 1 Kings 19.9 says, And he came thither unto the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I only I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah is running because the children of Israel have already slain many of the prophets and they're seeking the life of Elijah. He goes on to say in verse 14, he says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And so you see, uh, this, the, the children of Israel... They kill the prophets. Nehemiah says the same in Nehemiah chapter number 9 and verse 26. This is interesting. This is after the children of Israel have gone into captivity and come back out of captivity. But what does he say? Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and have cast thy law behind their backs and slew the prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocation. So the prophets of God were there to deliver the word of God to turn the people back to God. But what did they do? Instead of listening and turning, they slew the prophets. Jeremiah says the same. 
Well, there's the reference, Jeremiah 26, 20 through, well, I'll just turn there and read it. Jeremiah 26, verse 20 through 24. And Jeremiah says this. And there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord Uriah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirgath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went into Egypt. And Jehoiakim the king sent men into Egypt, namely El Nathan the son of Akbor and certain men with him in Egypt. And they fetched forth Uriah out of Egypt and brought him unto Jehoiakim the king, who slew him with a sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. You see, the children of Israel have this testimony that they persecuted the prophets. And they persecuted these prophets because of the nature of their, their, their message. Again, in that commentary on the New Testament usage of the old, it says, by, by, the, by their nature of their calling, Prophets tended to be critical of the sins of the people and their leaders. And so Stephen's rather hyperbolical rhetorical question implying that no prophet was immune from opposition is broadly justified. So when Stephen calls them out for persecuting and killing the prophets, he's justified in doing so. He actually goes on to say when he mentions the coming of the just one, Isaiah is the one that mentions the coming of the just one. It's, it's in Isaiah 53. But Isaiah was slain by Manasseh. The one who said there's one coming to redeem you. There's one going to come that's going to uh, uh, provide redemption for you. And Isaiah come with the good news of the gospel. But because he said repent of your sins, what did they do? They murdered him. So, so when Stephen is making these statements back in Acts chapter number 7, I mean, he's fully justified in saying what he's saying because the children of Israel, they have slain the prophets. And notice he goes on and says, you have betrayed the just one. You have murdered the just one. That's the, at the end of Acts seven fifty-two. And so Stephen is, I mean, he's calling them out. I mean, he's being bold. You know, we need to think about that. that the children of Israel, they, they, they thought they were serving God. Remember when Saul of Tarshish was going out, breathing out threatenings and slaughterings against the, the, the Christians, and he was uh, hailing them into prison and, and having them killed for their faith in Jesus? What did he think he was doing? He thought it was doing God a favor. So the Jews thought they were serving God. They thought when they killed Jesus, they thought they were doing the right thing. When, they, when, when Saul of Tarshish was out persecuting Christians, he, he thought he was doing the right thing. But they were so confused. They had so turned away from God that they didn't even recognize that instead of being the friend of God, they had turned into the enemy of God. Instead of supporting God, they had murdered His Son. It, it warns us to, listen, we can turn our hearts away from following God, not really intending to. 
and thinking, oh yeah, I'm serving God right, I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. That's what the children of Israel thought, but they were, their hearts were turned away from God. So, so we all need to guard ourselves to make sure that, that our hearts are not turned away from God, that we listen to the Word of God, that we don't, uh, that, that we don't reject the Holy Spirit of God. We, we need to be careful. They refused the law as it was delivered to the angels. It says in verse 53, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. There's, there's some scripture references for that. Deuteronomy 33, 2, and, and it tells us in the, in the book of Galatians chapter 3 and Hebrews 2, 2 about the angels being present when the word of God was delivered to them. But all of these points are, Stephen is using these to tell them how they had rejected the Word of God. These Jewish leaders had rejected the Word of God. Stephen's summation of his defense is that early on, they had accused Jesus. This is in Acts chapter number 6. But they had accused Jesus of destroying the temple and changing the customs and the laws. And the point that Stephen is making throughout, throughout his entire defense is, you accuse Jesus of changing the customs and the laws? You've been doing it since the very beginning. Since God spoke on Mount Sinai, you rejected God. And if you were with us in our men's, men's Sunday school class today, you would, you would have saw how that we, the children of Israel, before Moses was down from the mount where he received the law, the children of Israel had already turned their hearts away from God. They had set up a golden calf to worship. And Stephen is saying, since the beginning you've rejected God. Since the beginning you've turned away from the law of God. You accuse Jesus of changing the laws of God. You've been doing it all along. They've been changing the laws and the customs by refusing to follow the laws of God and by persecuting those who highlighted their failures, killing the prophets. Today we want to remember that we have been given the word of God by holy men of God. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. So do you follow it? Do you say, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God? Do you, do you dig into the word of God to make sure that you are following the word of God wholeheartedly? Or do you say, eh, you know, I do good enough. You know, I think I'm living all right. Compared to what? Are you comparing that to be you holy for I am holy? Or are you comparing that to your preferences? You see, do we change the Word of God to fit our preferences? It's something we need to ask ourselves. And then if someone highlights our sin... If the man of God preaches against sin, or if the Word of God, you're reading the Word of God, and, and, it, and it highlights some sin that you're committing, how do you respond to that? Do you confess that sin and turn away from that sin, or do you excuse it and say, ah, I'm going to sin a little bit more or less every day, and oh, it's just my nature to sin. I'm a human. I can't do it. I can't help it. I'm going to sin some once in a while. So that's just the way it is. How do you respond to sin? Do you respond to sin with brokenness and see how offensive that is to God and see the need to confess that and turn away from it, or do you excuse it? See, Paul tells the Romans in Romans 2, 
15, he says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So, so do you excuse yourself? Or do you see sin for what it is offensive to God? And do you, do you turn from it because you know that God hates your sin and you are broken over that sin and you want to turn away from it? How do you respond? So that's the lesson we need to think about when we look at Stephen's defense. So how did the Jews respond? They refused it. They rejected Stephen's defense. Verse 54 and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Lay not, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen's boldness cut to the heart. But we want to understand that being cut to the heart is a good thing. It's a good thing because being cut to the heart is warning us how that we are walking away from God. How we're living in a way that is contrary to His Word and to His ways. It shows us our sins. And being cut to the heart, it should cause in us a desire for repentance and confession of our sin. Being cut to the heart is the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Word of God is sharp and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the joints of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So, so the Word of God cuts to the heart, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And we need to understand that is a good thing. The work of the Holy Spirit cutting us to the heart and convicting us of sin, showing us places in our lives where we do not measure up or where we have fallen short of the glory of God. It is a good thing. Because... Since we're cut to the heart, we can recognize it as sin and we can confess it and turn away from it. It reveals where we have missed the mark. The question is, how do you respond when you are convicted of sin? When the Holy Spirit or the Word of God points out that sin, how do you respond? These Jewish leaders, they responded by doing what the other Jewish leaders had done. They killed the prophets of God. And these kill Stephen. So how will you respond? Do you respond in anger? Or do you respond with brokenness? How do you respond to the Word of God? That probably says a whole lot about your relationship with the Lord. Because if you respond in anger and want to get the person that has highlighted your sin, you know, you're probably not walking with God the way that you should. But if you respond in brokenness 
that says a lot about your desire to live pleasing to the Lord. So Stephen, as they are calling him out of the city and, and taking him out of the city, and they, they are gnashing upon him with their teeth, he sees the Lord. It tells us there in verse 55 that he's full of the Holy Ghost, and so he looks steadily, steadfastly into heaven, and he, and, he, and he sees the Lord there. But here's what I want you to understand. I about fell down. Uh, here's what I want you to understand. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you won't face difficulties. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you'll no, never face any persecution. In the words of Troy McGahan, life is not going to be full of lollipops and rainbows. Life is going to come with difficulties. But the Lord was with Stephen. He was full of the Holy Ghost. Isaiah said this, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So, so we want to understand, this passage of Scripture is not saying that Christians will not face those things. But when you do face those things, the Lord will be with you. The Lord was with Stephen. Stephen's going to die. Think about how horrible a death it is for them to be gnashing upon him with their teeth and then taking him out in the city and stoning him with stones. You know, there's different ways they did that. Sometimes they just threw you at the pit and people stood at the top of the pit and threw rocks at you. Sometimes they buried you up to your neck so only your head was out of the ground and they threw rocks at you. But think about how horrible of a death that must be to die by stoning But that's what Stephen faced. And the Lord was with him. Again, in a quote says, Stephen is described as being under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God and filled with divine comforts and strong in the faith of Jesus Christ and having a holy boldness, courage, and intrepidity of mind. Instead of being discouraged and de dejected, of being cast down in his spirits and looking down upon the ground. Instead of saying, oh, no, I'm going to die. Oh, no, these people hate me. Oh, no, 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 no. No. He stood steadfastly and looked into heaven. Instead of being depressed and dejected looking down, he looked steadfastly into heaven, looking for the comfort of the Lord. And when he's looking into heaven, what does he see? He sees Jesus standing on the right hand of God. How is he responding to this persecution? He sees the glory of the Lord. He sees Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus standing there waiting uh, at the place of authority, waiting on the ushering end of His kingdom. And Stephen shares what he says, what he sees. He, he says in verse 66, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. There's a, a couple of things to say about that. We just preached a couple of weeks ago about, about Jesus being the Son of Man. But, but it's also, we, we talked about how the Son of Man is the term that Daniel used. And so uh, that's referring to the coming kingdom. So, so, so again, Steve, Stephen's even making an accusation and saying who I see, the Son of Man who's coming in his kingdom I see him there and he's stoned they run upon him they can no longer handle the accusations and they stoned Stephen to death 
But interestingly, there's a new character that comes on the scene. This is the first mention of this person named Saul. Saul is present at the stoning of Stephen. So later on, when you, you see Saul, verse number, chapter, verse number 1 of chapter number 8, you, it, it, Saul comes on persecuting the, persecuting the, uh, the church. Um, you, you know, you see why. See what his experience is. But anyway, I want you to think about this. Think about Stephen and how he died. I want you to compare his death with the death of Jesus. You see, G Stephen is mirroring the life of Jesus. Stephen is mirroring the death of Jesus. These, these characteristics of a death, it says that he called upon God in verse number 59. What did Jesus do upon the cross? He called upon God. He asked God to receive his spirit. Right? The end of verse 59. Receive my spirit. What did Jesus say? Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And notice what else he said. Remember Jesus saying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does Stephen say? And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see the heart of Stephen for the people. So we want to ask ourselves, do we have that same spirit? Do we have that same spirit? If we were being persecuted, could we say the same thing? Could we, will we mirror the life of Jesus even in our death? As we come to the end of our life, will we continue mirroring the life of Jesus? So what, what, a, what, a, what a story here. We want to think about how we respond to the Word of God. How do you respond to this situation that we see uh, Stephen going through? How do you respond to the Spirit's leadership? How do you respond when your sin is outed? A follower of Jesus responds by confession and seeking forgiveness. Someone who is not a follower of God excuses himself and seeks to destroy the one who points out their sin. So in which camp do you fall today? Do you, do you fall into the camp that when, when your sin is outed that you repent and confess? Or do you respond by being angry and seek to destroy the one who brought out your sin? Today's the day to seek forgiveness. Today is the day to start following God wholeheartedly. Quit trying to be in Christ and in the world. Surrender your whole heart to God before you end up rejecting Him just like Israel did. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, the opportunity we have to, to read and study your word and to worship your son Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit has challenged all of our hearts today to think about how we respond when our sin is out. I pray, Lord, that all of our hearts will say that we will respond in confession and repentance and turning from our wicked ways. 
And someone here today has not yet trusted the just one for forgiveness of their sins. We pray the Holy Spirit will convict their heart and draw them under yourself. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and turn to page number... If the Holy Spirit spoke...